admit or face just how dark of a place humanity has come to. And to do do so so means that the certain influences in the world must be acknowledged. Hello, this is Chris Jansen. Welcome to the And Evil podcast. Today I'm here with a special guest, a friend I met online quite a while back. We're part of the same freedom group and network, and she's been working really hard on creating her own website and sharing, you know, years of her work. Um, this friend's named Leslie Powers. Welcome, Leslie. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Oh, man, it's really good to have you here. Um, I've been enjoying Alive and Thriving. It's a free PDF that Leslie offers on her website. And she's been um, a clinical, a licensed clinical social worker here in California for many years. Um, I'll let you tell us a little bit more about your history and what brought you to doing this work, Leslie, and, and what you're trying to um, accomplish with um, Alive and Thriving. Okay, thank you. So, yes, I've been working as a clinical social worker for, gosh, almost 30 years. You know, I was born in upstate New York and traveled across the country working in New Mexico, Colorado, and California. So I have a lot of um, real-world experience in the social work and mental health fields, uh, ranging from this the foster care system, adoptions, an Alzheimer's treatment center, home-based family therapy, and um, over the last decade, really focusing on outpatient adult mental health, and and also doing some crisis work. And I've also always been a person who um, was really interested in the deeper esoteric um, philosophical um, knowledge and questioning kind of the deeper reasons for things. And um, I, I think the work that I'm doing with Alive and Thriving is a coalescing of those two worlds of my experience as a social worker and also as a, a person interested in philosophy and understanding the core truths, you know, kind of underlying um, all our religions and uh, underlying a life itself. And I was really um, inspired by the work of Mark Passio, among others, like Michael Tassarian, um, and really opened my eyes to and answered some questions that I had because I, I had this very um, gnawing question in my mind about it, does evil exist? You know, are people, is there evil in people and human beings? Because in the field I work in, we're very strength-based. Social workers are very focused on, you know, believing that everyone can is good at heart, that we can transform and change and basically kind of minimizing the whole idea of evil. And through some of this other work, I've come to realize that, wow, you know, evil does exist. And this was life-changing for me to have that awareness. And it opened up my eyes to reality of things that are going on in the world and understanding why. Um, It basically um, took off some of the rose-colored glasses that I had, and I think is common in, in the field, because, you know, to do the work we have to do, we have to, you know, adjust our mind, uh, in certain ways to, um, to be able to, to continue to go on, to be motivated, to believe in change and keep doing the work, you know, but sometimes we, we're barking up the wrong tree. 
and working with government, for example, and all lots of um, grants and things that we're hanging our hat on to get change and help people. But it never seems to really make real foundational change. So I'm I'm trying to explore why is that? What is the real problem? What's underlying um, this dysfunction in the world and the mental health problems that people have and the unhappiness that people have? Because we have a potential to um, thrive, to be happy and to thrive that for the most part, people are not fulfilling. And many people are unhappy, you know, record numbers of people on antidepressants, lots of chronic health disease, depression, anxiety, suicide rates, substance abuse and addiction, really high rates. So people are are striving and they're, they're grasping for some kind of happiness, but not really finding it. So but I'm That's, that's yeah, part I, of what really brought me to your work, you know, like it, being excited about what you're doing because you, it's like you're actually... I mean, I know you've actually spent time meeting some of the people having a really rough time in life. Some of the people right out there on the streets, you know, you're the person who would come out there and talk to these people and deal with some of the major problems that people are having. But, you know, just like as, as I've been realizing, what I'm getting from you is that you're, um, you're seeing all these problems, but you're not seeing the solutions out there happening. And so rather than just complaining about that, what a lot of people are going to do, you're actually creating um, a solution-based uh, website and a solution-based um, plan to start helping people with the knowledge you've gained, you know, working through and in through these systems, but now trying to do it on your own the way you think it should be done. If, if that's what I understand, is that correct? I, I would say that that's pretty, pretty accurate. I, I, it really comes down to people empowering themselves and taking personal responsibility for their own happiness and for their own mental health. As long as we're projecting, you know, it outward and saying there's something out there that's going to save us. You know, there's the Democrats are going to, you know, save us. The, you know, there's going to be some kind of grant to fund this service so that we can do this work or that work. We're putting all this stuff on external um, sources, <clears throat> putting it on doctors, you know, putting it on psychiatrists instead of realizing that we are, you know, we have this amazing self-healing ability inside us. We uh, have the answers inside us. We can take charge of our own experience in the world. We can develop skills, cognitive, behavioral, spiritual skills to then maximize our, our potential, find joy, learn how to negotiate and manage difficult experiences and difficult emotions, and also to see more clearly. And also this involves a certain detachment, a detachment from these dependencies and reliances on external um, systems and, um, other people to fix things for us. Right on. And I think, um, you know, the fact that you understand these things and are combining it with, you know, what have, would have been, um, more traditionally like a mainstream approach to, um, let me, let me state this differently from my point of view, coming from someone who's personally gone through like anxiety, depression, you know, some real, psychological challenges at times um coming to meet someone like you who actually has the mainstream background of you know the typical psychological help that people would go to um a clinical social worker but then also realizing the other things that i've come to realize and you know not seeing me as someone who's 
you know, crazy conspiracy theorist, but being like, no, your concerns are making sense. And seeing that you've written um, things that are right in line with things that I've been thinking, you know, I found extremely impressive. And so, so much so that what I did was I kind of came up with this idea, something I've worked on in my show before about um, comparing things to something silly that everybody could recognize like a movie. And so I was thinking about finding Nemo and how Nemo is so similar to describing us people that are caught in this, this fish tank. And I want to let you expand on that some more because I, I know you caught on to the idea I liked. And so I put together some slides and that's what we're going to talk about today. So yeah, from your point of view, I guess the big question I had or what I kind of come to you with is like, how do we reach these people with the truth? That's so hard to tell people. And so that's kind of yeah. what I'd like to hear you talk about. Yeah, this idea that we'll be expanding on about, you know, the fish, they don't know they're in a tank. They don't, they don't even know they're in water. And, and the fish in a fish tank aren't aware of the borders that have been created, you know, necessarily, right? Or what's creating them. You know, you think of, and that's where this whole Nemo metaphor comes in really good because it shows, you know, the difference between the fish that always grew up in the tank and then the fish who, you know, the fish that were captured and, and knew freedom and then were forced into this tank and how they have this different awareness of the borders, you know, and the waters that they were living in and the fake, you know, um, you know, little fish plants and, you know, ocean plants and stuff in the cage. And so there's this idea that, you know, we are indoctrinated, we are conditioned, you know, into a lifestyle. It's what we've experienced. We're born into it. Our parents were basically born into it for generations. Going back to some degree, there's been a conditioning that has created artificial walls and borders around our consciousness and about our view of the world and we take it for granted. We don't question it. Most people are not questioning those things that they're born into and that um, end up becoming the foundation of all these decisions of life, like, you know, going through the school system and graduating, going to college, perhaps, or getting a career, or just thinking, you know, we, ha- you know, it's just the way it is. Got to get a 40 hour a week job. You know, you got to you know, do the drill, do the grind, got to pay taxes, you know, this is just the way it is, a lot of that, and, and so this is about saying, wait a minute, you know, fish, this fish doesn't really know that they are in this tank, and, but now we're starting to look and say, wait a minute, we as a people, we as a species, as humans, we are like fish in a fish tank, that we have been given some artificial borders and being fed certain kind of water and given certain scenery, you know, to make us think that this is all there is. This is what life is. That we're, they're trying to make us think we're free, you know, and that's what most Americans I talk to think. And what I thought well up into my late thirties was, you know, this is the land of the free. Mm -hmm. And we're really questioning that saying, is this really freedom or are we really caged? And that's why I think, the Nemo situation makes such a good metaphor because, you know, people I talk, I've been talking about in my podcast recently about conditioning, how people are conditioned to be the way that we are. And when I try to describe to someone that we could have a world without evil where we don't steal from one another, that's kind of unimaginable because we've never experienced that. None of us have ever lived in a world 
where we're truly free. And so much like in the story here with these fish, a lot of the fish were born in a fish tank inside of a pet store. And then here comes along this bird telling them, oh, no, there's a whole ocean out there that you other fish live in. To them, that's just a story. And that's basically what people are getting from us when we're saying we don't need government. We don't need all these rules and regulations in our life. We don't need to be mandated to do things. They're like scared of that because it's like it's them. It's asking them to leave the fish tank and go into the ocean when they've never even seen the ocean. They don't even know that it's real. It's just a story. And they can't comprehend it. So, so when these rogue fish come in, you know, and they're talking about this world outside, the other fish are sort of, they're oblivious. They're, um, can't picture, can't comprehend. And when they start to, it seems super scary. You know, the idea of, well, really, let's bring you to freedom. We'll bring me, bring you to this big wide ocean, you know, that there's resistance because you have to leave that comfort zone and people are creatures of habit and comfort. And, you know, like the fish, they're like, I don't want to go out there. That's too scary. You know, I'm just bringing up our slide. Can you see it now? I I have the alive and thriving. So um, you can check out Leslie's work. She has a website that's um, alive thrive.com. Life. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. Just like mine, like and equal dot life. She has alive thrive dot life. See, that'll make it more memorable since I made that little blunder there. And on that website, you can um, check out this PDF that Leslie's been putting together, putting a lot of work into. There's so much information packed in here that um, this is just, you know, I've taken a few brief things out of her presentation and um, put them on these slides just to kind of give you a taste, but I, I think folks should check that out themselves. And um, and also you can check out Leslie's other website, which is, I'm going to look at it right now to make sure I say it properly, resilienceandrestorationcounseling.com. But, this um, is yeah. a collaborative work um, that I'm doing with a colleague. Uh, it's a website we share, but we're both doing independent counseling. So that would be more mainstream um you know, therapy, psychotherapy, or mental health counseling available through that, that site. Right on. So, you know, that's a resource available to folks that might be listening, but um, for the, you can just download the PDF, uh, Live and Thriving, from alivethrive.life. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, let's, let's begin discussing this uh, metaphor we've come up with a little bit here. The um, first slide I have here, I just listed some of the things that I found in your PDF that struck out for me, just to kind of give us an outline of what we're going to kind of talk about in these 10 slides or so. And like, as we just described, a fish doesn't know it's in the tank. So that's to describe what we're seeing around us in the world. Why are people making decisions that just seem so foreign to those of us who understand freedom? Because they don't understand. So some of the things that you wrote that um, I might have changed the wording just a little bit, but basically the main idea is human beings have the capacity to adapt to extreme circumstances. Mm-hmm. So humans have grown accustomed to uh, abuse and then becoming familiar with harmful behavior that doesn't make it good. So children in abusive situations, they don't have a template to interpret their experience as abnormal because we're used to abuse, we're conditioned to abuse, and that there's a tolerance of this harmful behavior, which leads to 
internalized problems, you know, oppression or repression of what, what otherwise could be. So we start to perpetuate and believe in the very um, conditions that we grew up in. You know, we start to defend it even because that is what is, is known and familiar and safe. So the unsafe can actually feel safe, kind of an odd aspect of humans. And I, I think about in individuals who grow up in abusive families, you know, where you love, you love your parents, you know, even if the, they're uh, occasionally violent or verbally abusive, there's domestic violence or, you know, sometimes they're physically uh, violent towards you as a child. There's a love, there's an attachment, there's an acceptance oftentimes in children, you know, or kids that grow up in, in real filth, you know, it's just, it becomes just what is, you know, and um, unless you have the contrast to something different, you don't know it's not normal. This can occur, you know, even be uh, the case with sexual abuse. Kids may experience incest and then they have no way of knowing that that's not what happens to every child. They blame themselves, right? And then they go to school or they talk to other kids and they realize, whoa, this isn't happening to everybody. Something's weird and different in my home. But unless you have that comparison, that contrast, you know, if everybody in your community is sort of operating with the same beliefs and the same tolerances, then that just becomes part of normal life. And, it, and, you know, tell me if I'm correct about this, Leslie, and, you know, it's been my observance or understanding that whether it's alcohol abuse or um, sexual abuse or physical abuse, a lot of times in a family when this happens, then there will be like a cyclical repetition of it with the next generation. It's really um, common for this sort of abuse thing to become a cycle and people almost like you're saying need it. It's almost comfortable. It's what they're used to. So there is, there are always consequences to living in that environment and the way that a child expresses, you know, the consequence of their experience can be different. So some children go on and become the abuse, you know, repeat the behavior of the abuser. Some go on and be repeat the behavior of the, of the codependent, you know, individual who, who kind of allowed the abuse, who, turned a blind eye to it, some end up repeating the victim role. And some who are able to see that and do their personal work and, you know, get the support they need break out of that, that paradigm altogether. So there's a lot of directions one can go. And then how about the aspect that we described earlier in this slide, like um, humans growing accustomed to abuse? What comes to my mind is like, stories of war, you know, where, um, you know, people come back and they're never the same, you know, they, Mm -hmm. once they've experienced these type of like traumas. And so what does that do to us psychologically when, you know, people are abused as children? And then how does that relate to like government, for instance, you know, like to me, I, I can relate to some of the structures of school. I always felt like a little bit of a rebel or an outcast because of the fact I was a naturally a rebel and wanted to speak up and say my piece and getting kicked out of classes for it and such and always feeling like this resistance, like why I'm just being me, I'm just being normal, you know? So what is it that makes people 
like almost seek out abuse and uh, allow it as if it's okay. So we're talking about um, how people respond to trauma, basically. And I, and I want to make the point that we are all experiencing some degree of trauma, you know, whether it's smaller, smaller T, small traumas, or big traumas, or the combination of both. Everybody's impacted. And there's also generational trauma. So we have, you know, parents, grandparents who fought in wars, who um, fled their country to get on a big boat and start over in a new world. We have, you know, however far back we go, we have uh, our family lineage inevitably involves various types of traumas. Okay, so we're all the product of that. And then you might have lineages that have extra challenges with um, substance abuse or alcoholism, or you may have generations of, um, in, of, of sexual abuse, you know, or you may be descendants of, you know, people who were in concentration camps or, you know, there's all sorts of variations here. So I want to share that we all, to some degree, come from a legacy of trauma and that we go through, let's say, like you gave the example of being a kid in school and finding school aversive and um, somewhat traumatic. I had that same experience. And how do we as in, how did we as individuals get through that? Well, I kind of went quiet. I kind of went, I flew be- below the radar. Some kids are going to be testing the boundaries more and speaking out and more likely to get consequences in this rule-based system, getting sent to detention, getting, you know, um, you know, shamed, separated from their peers, you know, prevented from playing sports, whatever it is, you know, we all have these experiences. And so how the we have a template, a psychological template that starts to form very young, sometimes before we're even uh, verbal, depending on what's happening in our life. If our attachment needs and our needs for security and affection and uh, reliable caregiving isn't happening in infancy and toddlerhood, you know, we're developing a template there um, that's forming in our brain and our nervous system before we are even conscious of it. And, and that could be in this. So there's fight or flight or freeze. There's also tendon befriend. There's different ways that we respond to trauma. And I think there's an interaction with our temperament, you know, our temperament, our genetics, our upbringing. So every child's experience is different. And, and then that plays out in the world. So in this original template, there are memories that get embedded in the limbic system that often bypass our frontal lobes that aren't remembered consciously or verbally but they're in our nervous system. And with that, there's also an understanding of ourself that attaches to that. And because kids are generally egocentric beings, they, everything is about them that, that what happens if they're not fed, there's not food available in their house, you know, where somebody's telling them that they're, you know, always getting into trouble, they're always irritating, then they will, that child develops a template about themselves that I'm irritating, I'm not important, I'm in the way, you know, and whether that's conscious or sometimes that's conscious, sometimes it's not, but it's sort of like a magnet 
that any experiences in life that sort of resonate or, you know, shake that, ring that bell a little bit, they start attaching to it. And it creates this sort of like a memory node in our nervous system, in, in our limbic system, so that something happens in life. Um, somebody forgets to call us and they said they would, they don't show up all of a sudden that's um, resonating with that early self. Oh, they don't like me. You know, they don't need me. I'm not important. You know, I'm not important. I'm not lovable. Right. And, and that can play out very unconsciously in people's lives. So I'm not sure if that directly answers your question, but I think it is, there's a complex dance when it comes to trauma. And a lot of times people are not aware. I think this is the important part about this whole, the fish doesn't know it's in the tank is unless, because, you know, people are aware of their psychology and they're taught about psychology, they're, they may not catch on to this pattern for many years of their life, if at all. Right. And it's like, to me, that's really important because what you're doing is giving all this like foreshadowing in a book um, and sort of the surround sounds and the surround feelings for what creates a situation where, you know, like you'll go on an alternative website and people are talking about truth, you know, whether it's 9-11 or um, the pandemic or these things going on. And they'll be like, you know, how come people don't get it? They're a bunch of clones. They're a bunch of sheep, you know, and and I like the point of view. You're coming as more like explaining, like, why? Why is it hard to get it? And and that doesn't mean like I'm someone exceptional that has some like um, something someone else doesn't. I just happen to have a glimpse of the real ocean. Maybe that's because I was studying more in those directions where someone else was studying something else. Yeah, it doesn't make me better. I just happen to come across different information. And you're also describing like the abuse that's happened like generationally and cumulatively to the whole race that has traumatized us and put us in this position where it's hard to see that we're kind of in a crippled position of slavery and there's like this possibility of more freedom. So let's um, jump on to the next slide and see. um, Go ahead. I wanted to say, you know, just to add on to what you're saying that um, one of the reactions to that trauma we talked about in its different forms is uh, can be a shutting down and a splitting in our own consciousness where um, it's not safe to open Pandora's box. It's not safe to face those things are going to, that it could threaten our security or open up pain, you know, think, or that pain gets exiled. And I think that ha- that, well, it does happen uh, individually in our psyches. It happens um, in group, you know, groups will, will hide information. They will avoid information. They'll, you know, shame someone who, you know, acts out, you know, in a certain way. Or we'll even do that to ourselves, right? Like that's the whole idea of denial. You don't want to face a certain pain because it hurts too much. So it's just easier if you just don't look at it. And the whole idea and theory of going to see like a social worker, for instance, is someone that can really carefully kind of help you get there to where you have the ability to look at the trauma and then you can start to get past it. But until you can look at it with, you know, yeah, unflinchingly, just no fear and just face it, you, you're, you're constantly be haunted by these past things. So what we and, want and to I do think now it's is necessary for people, for people to face themselves 
and do the individual work before we can have real big change in the world, you know, collectively. So. Yeah, well, you just basically preemptively answered the question I was going to ask, you know, so how do we affect people on the larger scale? And you're saying, well, we as individuals affect ourselves and that will in turn affect others. So as we understand these dynamics, like what are the things that are actually holding us back from living the life we want to live or doing the things we want to do? What are the things that are actually impeding us? So that's kind of what, you know, this next slide is about. It's like, have you ever experienced suffering from are these things that we all share right these are things we all share a list suffering from unresolved trauma insecurities struggling with our self-image self-loathing feeling trapped feeling afraid feeling anxious and feeling ashamed you know i think just about anybody listening has felt probably all of these but you know we've all felt one or two of them from time to time probably in the last week so why is this important, you know? These these are symptoms. So let's start, you know, if we're going to start, we want to change something, we want to figure out what we're going to do, let's start with what's happening now. Let's look at the symptoms that people are having, that we're having. Let's start self-reflection and acknowledge it, admit it. You know, you know, we, we have, I, I, that part about us being a very adaptable species, I think is so true. Like people are resilient. They, you know, hardworking for the, you know, and going through life and they get kicked to the left, you know, they stand up and they keep trudging along. It's pretty amazing actually how resilient and adaptable people are and how they continue to work hard. And almost like stuff down and um, repress those those feelings underneath of like, you know, I'm really not happy with my job. I feel trapped. You know, I'm anxious about, you know, how I'm going to pay the bills. You know, there's shame. These are feelings that people will shove down. But let's open this... Um, you know, open up the lens and say, okay, well, let's wait, let's be real about this. Let's admit, you know, that working this 40 hour job, even if we like our work is draining, that there's a sense of, of being in a stuck in a wheel, like a hamster. And that leads to, you know, a lot of stress and a need to discharge this stress and life insecurity, you know, Let's start looking at the symptoms. And, it, and it's like, it's really cool to notice that it's not just you, you know, like a lot of people are feeling a lot of loneliness. I would imagine, especially in the last year, you know, with getting quarantined and the whole bit, but no, just even leading up to that, especially if you're like someone who questions the main narrative, even if you don't talk about it out loud, how lonely would that make you feel that, you know, like we were describing someone who's different from everybody else. You feel that way until you realize that, everybody's experiencing these feelings because we're all facing this really trap of enslavement, which is, you know, constantly taxing us mostly financially, but in terms of stress, various stresses and toxins in our environment and pressures, you know, increasing pressures as we can see happening now. Yes. So our next, um, yeah, this, I like this picture of the finding Nemo's, um, his little crew and he's in the tank, you know, so these were almost all fish. I guess the one of them was from the ocean, but the rest of them were all born in fish tanks. 
And so here's the juxtaposition, the question, you know, like, are we really free and happy? You know, is, isn't that what we're supposed to be as humans or as Americans? And is it true? Yeah, we have a certain propaganda, you know, that we receive in school that, you know, we're, the USA is the land of the free, home of the brave, land of the free. We have all these rights and, and freedoms that we need to be so grateful for, you know, because people don't have that around the world. I know I was given that indoctrination and, you know, and I don't want to say that, you know, people in our, in the U.S., don't have a lot of things uh, easier because we do than a lot of other places. And we may have, we have a lot more freedoms than other places, but I think that certain like propaganda almost, it's like we've kept it as a rewind in our head and stop noticing or, you know, what's really happening to our freedoms, you know, the degradation, the course, right? Yeah. And bit by bit, boiling by water, bit. just turning exactly. up a little bit at a time. And yeah. we're like crabs or frogs. Yeah. So So now it's time to really ask, really, are we free and are we really happy as, as in our, you know, in this so-called free, free world that we live in this free country? Um, because when I look around, this is a difficult part because you, you know, like you don't want to come across totally pessimistic. Like I've spent most of my life trying to be optimistic Mm -hmm. person and trying to be cheerful. Mm -hmm. And then I find myself more and more in the last five or six years, especially trying to explain to people no this shit's really bad you know it's yeah. like you don't want to go around trying to convince people that things are worse than they thought yeah. but that if that is the case that's what we have to do yeah. right i mean is there a better way <laughs> and i'll share this because I, this is why it's so important because if we stay in this bubble of um everything's good you know we, we, you just have to think different, be happy. It's all, you know, everything's good, man, you know, and, and we, you know, there's no such thing as evil. Everybody's good. You know, we can start to just perpetuate a lie and an illusion that allows our actual 3D, you know, life freedoms to become like, taken away. And that's what I see happening. And I was a person who was super kind of in a certain bubble for many years of my life, thinking that people are good, all people are good and, and not accepting this aspect that there, you know, there is evil, there is bad, there's psychopathy in the world. And because I didn't accept that fully and, and because of other unconscious dynamics internally to, you know, and that I, developed in life, I kept attracting relationships that were really super dysfunctional. I was, you know, getting in relationships with very narcissistic men who, you know, were not good to me, you know, and I tolerated it because I believed in the good of their hearts, you know, and the potential for change, right? But it, what it happens when we, when we are not facing the real negative stuff in life is that we end up chasing our running in circles and staying in a cycle of abuse or, you know, self-perpetuated unhappiness and unfulfillment. We just stay there for years and years and years sometimes. So unless we face it and say, wait a minute, that right there is bad. And if you don't change, 
stop being bad. I'm not going to tolerate it anymore. You know, we're going to continue to tolerate abusive things. So, yeah, so here we are, you know, we, we, we're, we're distracted, okay, by the economic aspects of life, right? And we are feeling often that we're caught in a rat race. I have felt that very much. I am caught in a rat race. I'm running around in this wheel. I know that there's something more. There's a potential in life to experience beyond this. And in myself, my creative capacity is untapped because I'm stuck. I'm stuck in this sort of uh, template that I was born into, that I accepted, that I was a good girl, I was going to do the right and safe thing and go to college and get a degree and get a job and make sure I had, you know, did all the things that my parents wanted me to do because, you know, my dad grew up in the depression and, you know, they didn't have a lot of things and he experienced their house burning down at one point, you know, different things that affected my father, for example, in parenting me that I took on unconsciously, right? Um, so we, we end up creating a lot of comforts in our life. We have comforts, but not contentment. We have an access to so much stimulation and technology and short-term, you know, stimulation and, and excitement. But really many and mo- many people have very unsatisfying personal social connections. A lot of people are working at jobs they barely enjoy working for a paycheck, working for the weekend, working for a vacation, right? And there's, you know, even for people like I've enjoyed my work, I feel like I've, I've, I'm aligned, I'm doing, living some of my purpose in my work, but it's the long hours and create a very poor balance of time for families and meaningful activities. So I can't, I haven't, I haven't felt successful at working, being a full-time professional and really being the best mother that I could be, you know, and I, by, by being engaged in all of this, I'm missing out on a lot of other meaningful things or expressions of my creative potential. So there's just something in the way that our, our our world is set up or, you know, that is, I think, squashing us. So this is the tank, right? Like this is, this is the fake plants in the tank. And when, you know, these fish are actually swimming around in circles every day, whereas who knows what kind of pathways they might be going on in the open ocean. And you're just communicating with the fish that are in the tank. You're not getting the opportunity to have unlimited potential and unlimited possibilities. Exactly. I'm just swimming from here to this side of the tank to over here to over here, but it's in this pretty small radius. And I'm not creating, you know, the, the new pathways and... I don't know, things that I could be doing because I'm, I'm in this very limited uh, structure, this tank. You know, and I think it's, it's tricky too, because we all want to be happy. Like that's a natural to try mm-hmm. to make the best of things. And I think a lot of people's mentality is kind of there. They're like, yeah, but this is where we're at. So quit complaining. Let's make the best of it. And what we're trying to get across with this metaphor is that there is an open ocean out there though, you know, yeah. and if we work together, like in the movie, there, there is a way to get out of this fish tank into that ocean. Or if there is, let's talk about it. Why not? Yeah. Because that's and an exciting conversation. It, it could and, be way better. You know? And to make sure that we're fully conscious about our choices, that we're making our choices um, from a place of true informed consent, and that we're giving our children that possibility. 
to allow them to become their full full selves. I think that's so important because some of us are at the point where like, it's not just about my life, but now it's really about the future generations of, you know, of humans. Yeah. And what can be done long-term, you know, to where we end this cycle. And that's kind of what my podcast you're hitting on exactly what my podcast is all about. Like, let's imagine this better world. Let's try to see a world without evil. Let's not just accept, you know, evil being king as being okay, you know? And we so, have to first accept it, see that evil exists. So yeah, that's Look at perfect. It. What like what? Here's this next slide. Here's us. Am, are you? Am I still showing the slide? Are you still seeing it? So yeah, and it's kind of a, just an ex- extension of the points that we just talked about. You know, how we're um, living in this limited life, scraping by, pay, paycheck to paycheck. Our money is gone on this range of things that we need to pay, the utilities, the smartphones, the insurances, the all the possessions we need for our comfort, our beauty products, our pleasure-seeking, our rents, our mortgages. Um, it's pretty endless, and it expands, you know, and this is where kind of the government comes in, and it creates, you know, more gas taxes and another tax for this or that, and... Um, you know, and then people become more and more, I think, feel more and more trapped. So then the rebound effect, because the human spirit doesn't want to be trapped. And the human spirit is like, I'm going to go, it's like this, this polarity, this continuum over here. I'm like against the wall, busting my ass, you know, trying to make a living. So then when I'm off work, I'm going to rebound over to this side where I'm going to go have some fun. I'm going to have some beer. I'm going to go be silly and, you know, get a little wild. Not, you know, if I was structured over here, I'm going to be unstructured on my weekends, you know, and people are often on this teeter-totter, this like springboard back and forth. um, And it's a reactive So again, it's not coming from the center of creation, of how we're creating our life and what we want. We're unconsciously, you know, choosing things based on a reaction to an experience that we're kind of trying to balance out and escape some of the things that that are unpleasant, that are stressful. So we're like someone else might be like, taking the time in their whole life to like just improve incrementally and work on focus on certain projects. And, you know, imagine if you hit some trauma early on in life, you know, you've been abused. Now you're spending a whole bunch of time dealing with all these emotions, getting sent by the waves back and forth one way or another, where you could be just building this amazing self from, from childhood. The more the trauma, the more you get trapped in that um, limbic system and the reactions to unpleasantry ways of protecting the ego it's almost like a short circuit right in the mind where you just keep um you're just working to escape your own daily life you know you're just trying to do what you want to make yourself feel better so you don't feel so yeah enslaved right in the short term you know so it was like you're sure you're chasing short-term pleasures and releases from stress and but that's keeping you from being able to see the big picture so almost like that little circle we described inside of the fish tank instead of being able to see the whole ocean. Yeah. 
for me, I, I was always so frustrated for years and years, feeling like I never had enough time or money. And I started to realize that those two things are very connected, time and money. And I never had enough, never enough. And that would be a template, you know, that played out in my mind about not enough, not enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time, right? And then what happens when we have those kinds of templates in our in our self, consciously or unconsciously especially? We we create a self-fulfilling prophecy in a sense. You know, I was just thinking when you were talking about that, you know, that feeling you get when you can't find something. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you put something somewhere and you keep looking and you're like, you kind of have a picture in your head and it's just not like that's the way life felt for me. So for so many years. And then as you described certain people's work, like Mark Passio is the best example, but there's many others, you know, um, Richard Groves, another good example. He's someone I really look up to. Um, like you said, Tessarian's work, you look, um, David Icke, a lot of these people will get criticized, but, you know, people that have worked hard on just sharing with you what they've learned, you know, and sometimes even at their cost. And you get to the point where you realize like, that's that feeling I was having the missing piece, the missing part, that like little uneasy feeling that something's not right. It's because it's not That, that no matter how hard you work and how much time and energy you put out there, it's some of it's being siphoned away and stolen from you constantly and it's being stolen by these these governments it's being stolen by these um, people that own the media and that own the food and they're a little by little every day stealing from you so i want to add something it just came to my mind about the individuals that you just you brought up is that these are people who um have had the the courage the bravery to step out of the mainstream um, fish out of the fish tank. Okay. They've, they've found themselves for one reason or another in the wilderness. Okay. In the vast ocean, looking at the world and the things going on from a different perspective. And it's, and I think that's why they're scary to people, you know, that their work and they themselves, because they're so rogue, you know, and have deviated from sort of the, the the plan, you know, what you're supposed to do in life, you know, go to school, go to college, get a job, get, you know, a work, a salary, bet a house, get, you know, they, they said, wait a minute, there's, they followed a different path. So for folks who are basing their life on this American dream, we'll call it or whatever, and get more and more entangled, you know, into the systems, those points of view are scary. They're disruptive. They threaten the foundation that, you know, most people are standing on. So it's like they're... What what I really like about the way you put things, you know, like in your PDF, as I read through, is um, like you're asking these questions to you, the individual who's reading this, like, I think so many people would be so quick to say, like, when you're asking these questions, like, why are there so many divorces? Why are there so many broken homes? Why is there so much child abuse? Why are there so many people on the streets? So many people would just kind of throw up their hands. I don't know. That's why we have politicians. Figure that out for us, right? But those of us who began to understand freedom realize it's our responsibility as individuals to start answering these questions until we do that and do it together and, and start forming our own structures and ways of dealing with these problems, then we're at the mercy of those who we trust, give responsibility, 
to do these jobs and to take care of these problems. And in so many cases, they're not actually doing it. Otherwise, these problems would be solved. You know, we wouldn't right. have homeless people at all if government solved the problem of homeless people. We wouldn't have crime if police solved the problem of crime. Those things cannot be solved by force. They never will and they never can be. And if you think about it, okay, as we're driving around in our cities, our towns, and um, I don't know where I live, the homelessness and um, transient population has increased quite a bit. You know, in California, you go to L.A., San Francisco, the tent cities are just unbelievable expanding you know and what do we a lot of do people do you just drive right by it you might notice it but you know most people are like i got too much to worry about i just gotta worry about me and mine you know i don't have enough energy time resources to focus on how to help those people over there and a lot of times then people even become hostile about those people that must they must just not be hard workers they must you know, be lazy or whatever, you know, that these, these assumptions are, there's a judgment, you know, because, but internally, like people don't like it. They don't want to see that their communities are um, suffering, that there are people who don't have food, that that don't have homes, that kids are homeless, you know, it it reflects really badly and it feels out of control. So I I, I think that that's where denial and uh, comes in and ignoring ignorance, ignoring problems. And then people will come and focus on, you know, just their own lives themselves. Uh, A lot of people I see, you know, if you are blessed to have the resources, you know, people will just immerse themselves in in their abundance. Um, And I guess I've always had a, a certain sense of, you know, I can't just ignore that. You know, on the other just, hand, like none of us really have the resources too to like go help every homeless person, for exactly. instance, or even, you know, like I don't do much help at all for most homeless people. But I would say pursuing this knowledge has given me a very different viewpoint yeah. on the situation. When I see encampments growing mm-hmm. and I see and hear about more people having, you know, um, psychological problems or suicides. It makes me think, well, this is indicative of the situation and it makes me want to fight harder to explain truth and to um, explore philosophy and to shine brighter as a a good human being and do try to be generous when I can. And I have had several times where I've met, you know, someone who's on the streets or homeless and I've been able to help them in little ways. Mm -hmm. But it's more important that we educate our children, future generations, and that we educate everyone that you know, what's creating that situation? What does that indicate? And that's what I really like about your work is you're getting in here specifically and pointing out real world things that we see and experience and how that relates to this, you know, this whole issue, which is the trap. Yeah. And I'll I'll say that a lot of the people who are, you know, in the streets, there's a high degree of mental health problems um, and trauma lots of trauma and addiction, you know, it's all connected. And that is a societal problem. We're all a part of perpetuating it. Um, and as I understand part of your job, like you actually did, you have many times spent time with people, 
face to face on the streets dealing with their problems as they're happening, right? Is yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and the creation of social, this whole social work field were, were based on, you know, came from seeing the suffering of others and individuals having compassion and taking their resources and their time to help those in need. So if we have food, we'll share our food with those who don't have food. And that's where social work began. So there's a huge heart and caring, um, you know, in the people who are generally drawn to these fields. And, and yet what I've started to see, well, I, I totally support and believe it's very important that we treat our fellow human being with, with love and compassion and kindness and that we do offer food and shelter and we do that front line work, you know, I, you know, I've been a part of that work and many people I've worked with have been amazing in the energy they put towards that and I respect them. I've also seen that we as a field, men in mental health and in um, social work and, and in some degree like nursing and so forth, we're being taken advantage of in the larger system because the system, if we want to call, okay, let's say the system keeps spitting out these problems you know, these so-called interventions by the government and the money and this, it's not, not solving the problems. We're not, the symptoms keep perpetuating. The numbers get bigger and we're just being, you know, we're catching them, we're catching them, we're catching them. We're, we're blinded in a sense by the it being inundated with the symptom of the bigger problem. And I'm at the point in my career well, where, well, I like to do the individual work. I find that really rewarding and important. I also need to somehow contribute to this larger understanding to shed light on the bigger patterns that are creating these problems, you know, because I feel for my fellow, you know, social workers, companions, you know, in, in, in the work that, that they're being worn out, you know, really being, you know, it's look at the healthcare workers, you know, the, we're getting an onslaught of people who are suffering that we're there trying to band-aid and fix, you know, but really we're band-aiding, we're triaging, you know, it's overwhelming to the point where you can't even see the big picture, you're in the forest. You can't. You see. You can't see the forest for the trees. And so I'm really want to look back at, at at what is this whole forest? What's this whole system? Where's who's funneling in? What's what's funneling in? What's creating these problems? I think we hit on it a little earlier. You know, like when you were talking about the American dream in your PDF, and I shared some of that in the slide. Mm-hmm. And this whole idea of like a carrot on the end of a stick, where mm-hmm. is the thing I rebelled. In high school, so many of the teachers and the work was gearing you in the direction of like becoming successful, which meant specifically having all this money and and having this correct kind of career, like a doctor or a lawyer, to where you're producing and being part of society and and being, um, you know, and and to me, this is a good example here, this picture of this fish that, you know, has all the jaws and it's got this light hanging off its head. And that's how it lures the fish in. That's how the trap works. It, It it tells you, oh, you're going to be free. You're going to have a life of, you know, you could be in Hollywood. You could be a star, and you know. It, and then so many people are chasing this almost like um, the lottery or gambling. You know, so many people are chasing this bright light, this mm-hmm. golden sphere of the American dream with the three-car garage, you know, and driving a Bentley or whatever. It, you know, all you have to do is just figure out how to 
get one over everybody else and, you know, sell them something or trick them into buying something, whatever it is, make your corporation, you know, like you can climb up the ladder, whatever you got to do, you know, and so people are falling for this trap, hook, line and sinker, you know, to use the metaphor and just following the the bright, shiny light rather than kind of looking around at what's going on in the big picture and what matters, you know, why we're here. Really, we've we've gone off course and we're in like a cul-de-sac, you know, where we're circling around in circles trying to pick up, you know, the mess. And every time you clean it, there's a new mess to clean up, you know, and we're in this this lifestyle of feeling chronically stressed, um, which I really think, you know, I, don't, I guess I can't say that it's created by design, you know, but I do have, you know, I generally think that that as humans, that if we have the capacity to redesign our world, our society, our lives. That, that there's, we have the intelligence. We have the potential, the ability. So why are we settling for this lifestyle, this way of being? But I do think it's important there to recognize that, you know, we are in this trap, you know, and I think that's what we're both kind of getting at here with this thing that, that it is indeed a trap. And until mm-hmm. someone realizes that mm-hmm. it's pretty hard to really seek the solution and to get to the root of the problem. And yeah. so I guess what I was trying to go, I know it seemed maybe I was going off a little bit with the, you know, American dream thing, but I, I'm just saying there's a deeper problem of people's idea of what's right and what's wrong and what we yes. should be seeking with our time. And because of that wrong thinking across the board, it creates this, like we were talking about this fallout of, people that are sick that are traumatized that wind up on the streets that wind up on drugs that wind up getting abused because of this pressure to be something that never really is an ideal that we should necessarily be seeking from my point of view and we're off track we go off track dealing with those symptoms yeah so something's obviously seriously wrong you know and how do we and this is the core of my work is asking these questions how do we perpetuate the trap that we are in with our own thoughts and behaviors, you know, acknowledging that on some level we've all become slaves to the status quo, to the pursuit of money, how money is in all of our lives. You know, we, we are trapped in it. Um, We are to some degree allowing the entrapment. And is it really enough to just say, this is just how it is. Just live with it. You know, we can't do anything about it, which is often a common response. And I, I guess I'm too stubborn. I can't, I can't just settle for that. Yeah. You know, like that, I remember in that Finding Nemo movie, um, the seabird was the one who would show up at the window with the news, you know, and all the fish would kind of pop their head out of the water and the um, bird would tell them what's going on, you know? Yeah. And so he's kind of like the news, you know? Mm-hmm. And in our world, it's like, you're not just getting the news from just some random seabird. <laughs> You're getting the news from a seabird that's been stamped with Rothschild Incorporated, you mm-hmm. know, um, World Oil Incorporated, you know, um, Central Bank of, of the, of the United World. This is the news that we're going to put out on every channel. And, you know, all the talking heads are just repeating the same news. And so you're not getting the actual news of what's going on in the actual real world. And that's those of us out on the fringes who are only getting listened to by a couple people who are trying to say, Hey, let's look at the big picture here. Let's look at what do we want to do for future generations to make this world a better place? 
it just conforming and swimming in a circle and pretending that we're not trapped in a cage is not going to ever provide a situation of freedom for future generations or our children yeah. or ourselves. You know? Yes. And I'll just add, you know, the call, I, I went to, um, did my graduate work at the State University of Albany in the Rockefeller College of Social Welfare or Rockefeller College of Human something. But it was, I didn't realize, I, I'd know at that time and really not until lately did I reflect on that, that that was Rockefeller College. So the Rockefellers dictated a lot of the curriculum for, you know, social work and public health careers for medical. So the very education we're getting, you know, is, is that's creating this, this fish tank that we're in and how we see the world. The indoctrination, Mm -hmm. the conditioning that leads us to it is paid for so many times by these same sources. And, you know, you can, people want to, you know, doubt that that's true. That's where I would say like, go to Grand Theft World podcast, or that's where, like I mentioned, um, Richard Grove's work, there's there's podcasters like him who really go into some of these details of the connections, like he used to do the Peace Revolution podcast. You know, you can listen for hours and find out all the connections between um, all these family members and um, how they're in different parts of government and how they bought schools and how, you know, mm-hmm. schools... The School Sucks podcast was one I listened to a lot that describes in schools how it came from this same citizen training from the Prussian education system, you know, that was teaching basically to create like the perfect citizen who would be a a warrior in times of war, who would be the perfect Nazi, basically, you know, and that's what these systems of taxation and socialism and slavery are always going to be about. They're just a new version, what we're facing now. It's like a fancier new fish tank. So um, the question I would ask for people, you know, take it back to the personal level, like what your work's kind of encouraging people to do, work on yourself, look at what you are. Here's the question. Are you one of these mine, 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 greedy birds that are just out for yourself? Or are you starting to look at the big picture and what's best for everybody else? Yeah. So again, these are some questions for self-reflection, which is where it all begins, you know, and asking what do you, what do you do with your time? And what is your general state of mind? Who do you spend your time with? <laughs> this is your question. Would you die for your job? I had to throw that in there. Yeah. Sneaky, sure, but I about you mean by that question. Well, I just mean like how much do you really care about what you're doing? Like when, if we were, if we were working on the survival of our species, of our little group, of our tribe, mm-hmm. you would die to protect your group and your family. That's, it's not bad to have. Um, I mean, that's the good side of like being a community member, a patriot member, you know, like you care about your family, your kids, your wife, your community. And you knew that if you went out and had to do something dangerous to bring back food, it could cost, you know, and you wouldn't think twice to do it. But we're doing jobs in the modern age that we really don't care about that much. We're just doing it for the money. We're not doing it because we really freaking care about it. And I think it's a different effort that you go about something when you would die to do it. And that really kind of, to me, defines if you're doing a job that you wouldn't die for, maybe maybe you don't care that enough about it, you know? Yeah. Sounds kind of extreme, but I think it's mm-hmm. the case, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I was involved, I did some meditation um, with a group, and the, the teacher, he said, you know, it's do or die. You know, the meditation practice, it's do or die. Like, you have to 
um, you know, whatever mission that you take on as important needs to be important enough that you have this sense is I do or die. I do it or I die, you know, because ultimately it's coming in touch with our mortality. And what are we here? What is this one life for that we're, and what are we going to do with it? And it, you know, getting in touch with our purpose and how are we are more than just, you know, an isolated, like individual and in a vacuum, but we are connected. And on some level, we're all one. So thinking about, you know, what are the things that you've done for others, um, for this sense of getting outside of yourself? Um, how much work have you done to be a change in the world? And uh, what are you thinking about how you're going to impact future generations, a legacy that you have? Those are motivational questions. Because, you know, whenever I'm working with somebody who says, oh, I want to lose weight or I want to do this or I want to do that, you know, I come to the question, well, well, why? You know, why is that important? What difference does it make that you are making this money? You know, I want to make money. I want to get a house. Well, what, what, why? What's the real reason? And really analyze those reasons, you know, because a lot of times the reasons for doing what we do is based on that trauma response of like, I need security because if I don't have security, I'm going to die. You know, I could, I could be homeless. I could be like, oh my God, you know, something bad could happen. I could get a disease, you know? And so are you, are the decisions and the things you're spending your time with, are they motivated by fear or are they motivated by love and a desire to, you know, to to give your gifts into the world and to benefit the world to do what's right and to do what's right yeah like is that even part of the consideration are you really living from a stance of morale what's you know true morality of right and wrong and not doing harm to others right you know i have always felt you know in my basic uh, moral uh foundation that i don't want to do harm to other people now, what I came to realize is when I didn't think I was doing harm because I was being nice, I was being too nice. I was doing harm to people. Sometimes being nice and doing being easy, making things easy isn't doing the right thing. So that's a whole other discussion for another day. <laughs> so um, my next slide I put together was developing the will to escape this trap. Yeah. And so working more towards the solutions. What do we actually do about it? you know, on our personal lives, on a day-to-day basis? How do we stop being part of this trap? There's so many things that are hard to get out of. How do you extricate yourself from paying taxes? I mean, that's not an easy one. Some people figure it out. Some people, it's a longer path. Um, What are some ideas you have, Leslie? So I like what you're saying here. You know, the first line, stop perpetuating the trap in your own thoughts and actions. So again, we're starting with ourself. We're looking at our, our unconscious, our automatic thoughts. And the behaviors that um, spring from those thoughts, you know, we have our thoughts that create an emotion and that then creates a behavior, an action. We need to really start looking at those, that pattern and uh, notice where we're trapping ourselves, where we're, our worldviews um, are keeping us in a stuck or a too safe a position and we have to ask, where did they come from? These beliefs, these worldviews. 
And when we, um, and in part of that is realizing that in some sense we're repressing ourselves. Uh, we've repressed um, parts of ourself that really would like to be free to create, you know, and that imagination, that hope it's in all of us. And a lot of people I talk to, they say, I, I don't have any imagination. And a lot of people don't have hope to be, you know, and, and how do we cultivate that? So that does involve questioning the status quo and choosing not to be a slave to, you know, a routine that is um, been imposed upon you in a sense or a belief. You know, I could throw in one suggestion there. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I would say a big ray of hope is books, you know, Mm. reading books. I do them mostly through um, listening to them because that works better for me. But, Mm -hmm. you know, like there are a lot of answers out there. And what you keep bringing up this undercurrent of of asking the right questions, you're never going to get to the right answers until you're asking the right questions. But a lot of people have already done a lot of this thinking for us. So, Mm -hmm. like, I would recommend, you know, really getting into books and looking at why are they burning in the past? Why did they want to burn books? Why are they doing censorship now um, in the major sense? The reason that information is hidden and that books get burned is because that information can really lead you to um, freedom. And that's scary too. So so think of it, you know, books, um, ideas that are outside of our little world, right? These are the fish that that are outside of the fish tank in the ocean that they're, they're writing about, they're talking about this life, these potentials, these issues that are beyond our imagination. Anything we've experienced, we can't even imagine it, right? We, we can't imagine what it, it would be like because you know, we are kind of limited by our thoughts and experiences here. So how do you expand that? You read books, you listen to other people's information, you expand outside of the mainstream narrative. And one of the most disturbing things to me right now is the amount of censorship that's going on and how many of these voices that are deviating, anything that's deviating from the status quo right now, from the mainstream narrative is being censored. The people are being attacked there. The information's being hidden. All of this occulted knowledge or the knowledge is being occulted. And over, you know, thousands and thousands of years, there's been information that's occulted. That is the very information that we want to seek out. And that's been just a part of me my whole life is wanting to find this, uh, this occulted information and understand it. I want to understand from the broadest perspective. And as long as we're, uh, we're being fed, spoon fed information through certain mainstream media, and it's very limited. It's, it's, it's a brainwashing. It's a limited information. We have to break out of those walls and seek out the information that's being hidden. And that will help us to see new possibilities of happiness and potential for ourselves and our children and our our future. So we do have to behave differently. We have to break out of the conformity, not accept it, being willing to go out on a limb and being, you know, called a name or being told that we're wrong. You know, it does. It takes courage. But I do think there's health to be gained on that path, too. Because, For sure. Um, I personally, I've gone through a lot of challenges in the last year, but, you know, I've been very healthy, too, because um, deep down, I'm proud of 
who I am. And I'm proud of my unlimited potential. And I understand that there all these factors are trying to make my world, you know, closed in and I'm not, I'm not going to let it happen as much as possible. So that gives me physical, you know, uh, physical, physical mental health, physical health. It's so intertwined. And if we're not living true to our true nature and our real, sort of God-given potential of create as a creator in this world, it's going to make us sick on some level. I, I believe that. And I feel very strongly that, you know, the, the gains, the benefits of breaking out of the status quo are far greater than staying safe. And I'll just share a little in my personal life. You know, it's, I've continued to strive to be in alignment between, you know, what I think and, how I act. And one of the things I most recently did to create that alignment is I quit my job, you know, in a health clinic that has many wonderful qualities to it, but became um, compliant with this whole state mandate of people in the healthcare industry having to get mandated vaccines or you're have to test every week. And I refuse to be a part of it. And I left and I am finding that this is incredibly freeing mentally and emotionally. And I feel better and opportunities are coming to me. I believe as a result of the alignment that I've created in myself. So that's, that's so inspirational. Um, mm-hmm. I really appreciate you sharing that, Leslie, because it's something that I find inspirational too, is people that are brave enough to, you know, take the steps you did, especially when you're, you know, part of a community for so long. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden they're doing things around you that, you know, you don't think are right. It's even harder to say no. And that's exactly what you did. And your story, um, you know, can help inspire other people yeah. to, realize that you know being uncomfortable for a little bit is a lot better than being mm-hmm. uncomfortable deep down with yourself and with yeah. what you know you are yeah. and you know it's you're like a deep. slow death you know of rotting a slow rotting from the inside when you're you're not um really living in alignment with yourself and facing stepping into your fear is is really important in almost every aspect of healing yeah So much good um, information that you've put together. Leslie, I hope people go to your website, alivethrive.life, and um, look through your work because there's, you know, a lot of depth of knowledge and understanding. And, like, from a really, like, down-to-earth, empathetic point of view, I think, you know, you're doing it. That's, I really appreciate that. I think, you know, healing ourselves is how to heal the world. Yeah, thank you, Chris. I so appreciated this opportunity to share information and chat with you. Um, my website has been in a holding pattern because I've had these major life uh, changes that I've dealt with between moving and changing my job, you know, leaving an agency and becoming pretty much a free agent. And uh, so, but I'm in this place right now where I'm ready to start adding videos to um, the PDF and talking uh, more with people about my work and expanding it. So it's exciting time, ready to jump on, uh, uh, increase my activity in this freedom movement. I appreciate it. Now you're more free to do your work um, outside of the confines of a um, sort of a system. And so, you know, now you're, you know, teaming up with Mm -hmm. uh, Kelly on resilient, really resilience and restoration counseling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dot com and also um, your work on a live thrive. So that's 
you and know, teaming awesome. up with our our you know freedom alliance um group and Nat- natural freedom alliance and other other groups you know interested you know in um living outside of the the mainstream paradigm and i think it is really important to seek out other people uh, and get support and inspiration and knowledge yeah. And know yeah. they're out there, whatever state you're in, whatever place yeah. you're at, there's other people like you. You're not the only one. Yeah. You yeah. know, reach out to us, reach out to Leslie. You can find, um, contact me on contact Chris on endevil.life and, um, or just get on, um, social media platforms and post your own work and you'll find that's how we found, that's how I found Leslie, mm-hmm. you know, by sharing yeah. my work on various social media sites and we connected. Yeah. So it, it, it's, you know, there are people out there. We still have a way to do it. So do it while you can. Don't be trapped in the fish tank. Yeah. <laughs> Get out there and swim around. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, let's bring yeah. it to a close. Thanks so much. Sounds and good. We'll Thank you, talk Chris. Again in the future. Bye, everybody. Appreciate it. Yeah. What are we supposed to do? And what I would say, you have to understand the, the, the totality of the big picture, the, the tapestry of all of this information as it pertains to what's going on in the world and how it affects our lives on a day-to-day basis, and then put it into a format that can be readily understood by other individuals, and then share that information with whoever will accept any part of it, with whoever will accept any part of it.